The world is becoming more unglued by the day. Local consequences are now showing up. We are seeing sky-high gas prices, higher food prices, shortages, and more. How should you respond? Go to redpills.tv slash patriot. That's R-E-D-P-I-L-L-S dot TV slash patriot. And secure your long-term emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is by far the largest preparedness company in America. They're in stock. is becoming more unglued by the day. Local consequences are now showing up. We are seeing sky-high gas prices, higher food prices, shortages, and more. How should you respond? Go to redpills.tv slash patriot. That's R-E-D-P-I-L-L-S dot TV slash patriot. And secure your long-term emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. My Patriot Supply is by far the largest preparedness company in America. They're in stock and shipping quickly in unmarked boxes to your door. Their emergency food supplies last up to 25 years in storage. When you need it, it'll be there. Lunches, dinners, drinks, and snacks totaling over 2,000 calories a day. Get free shipping on any order over $99. Again, go to redpills.tv slash Patreon. journey of conversations on the fringe and good morning good evening good afternoon wherever you are in the world my name is josh and welcome to the red pill project conversations on the fringe some uh some little technical difficulties we played the wrong intro video there i couldn't get the other one to work so i threw that one in there but this is conversations on the fringe this is where we talk about the weird the wacky the unusual those things that are not within normal conversation the things that make you expand your mind beyond the normal the things that lie and exist on the fringe 
Tonight, our guest is J. Marvin Herndon, Dr. J. Marvin Herndon. He's dubbed by the Washington Post as the maverick geophysicist. His scientific life is characterized by discovering and correcting mistakes made by government-funded scientists, leading to a new understanding of Earth's origins, internal composition, evidence of nuclear fission reactor as the source of the geomagnetic field, and a new understanding of Earth's surface geology and dynamics. For the past five years, he has disclosed the composition and consequences of chemtrails and consequently has had his reputation in puns, public health articles unwarrantly retracted, and his Wikipedia page minimized and corrupted by professional disinformation agents. He's just published two new papers, one of them on Mars, which I found incredibly interesting because we had the Mars Chronicles going. But, uh, Doc, how you doing today? Welcome back to Conversations on the Bridge. I'm good. I'm good. One thing I think um, that uh, I, I'd like to point out. Yeah. Uh, how I got uh, on the fringe, so to speak. Uh, I, I was chosen to be very well trained after I got my PhD in nuclear chemistry. Uh, two aged uh, scientists of world renown decided that uh, I could learn from them. And so for three years, that's what I did. And I learned a lot. And it was a blessing, but it was also a curse. Because right then, the, the whole science community was moving toward the big money. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ideas that, that happened, you, you don't, uh, if you're getting money from the government, you, you don't criticize the government. You don't criticize your colleagues because they may be reviewing your proposals anonymously. And that was all alien to me because my, my whole focus was on learning the true nature of the earth and the universe. That's so, and and the word truth is important. Well, I, uh, in 1979, I realized that the inner core of the earth wasn't quite what people had thought for 40 years. And I, wrote up the logical derivation of it. I showed it to Nobel laureate Harold Urey, and he communicated that to the proceedings of the Royal Society of London, very prestigious place. Well, while it was being reviewed and so forth and ultimately accepted for publication, I uh, thought that there would be discussion and debate and people would try to refute the idea the way science is supposed to work. Uh, the only thing that I heard from it, I got a very complimentary, a highly complimentary letter from the woman who discovered the inner core of the mm. earth, Inga Lehman. But the whole science community was silent. It was as if I had not published the paper. And then when my NASA grant that funded that came up for renewal, it wasn't renewed for no good reason. No. So I was excommunicated because my, my, my employment depended on a grant. So I, uh, I had several choices. One, I could capitulate and sing the, 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 the party storyline and maybe I could get some funding. Uh, or I could just disappear. But the other possibility was, since I knew I was onto something really important, I decided I would just do science part-time at my own expense. And that's what I've done ever since. 
And so I'm not beholding to anyone. Now, this idea of the inner core being something different, what that actually meant, and I learned further on, it meant that the earth formed in a different way than the, the whole planetary science community thinks. I mean, if you watch any of the uh, uh, public radio, public television broadcasts, they, they show particles condensing out in the regions and gathering up and forming uh, rocks and bigger rocks and boulders, then planetesimals, and then these are all colliding. Finally, you have a planet, then that has to go whole, melt totally, mm -hmm. so it'll have a core. Well, there was a different way, and this is a way I learned from solid science, namely that the Earth formed as a giant gaseous protoplanet from this primordial matter, and the, the first, at the high pressures and high temperatures, the first thing to condense is liquid iron. So it goes to the center and makes the core of the planet before the, the other materials coalesce around it. And if it totally condenses, then you have a planet like Jupiter with a 300 Earth mass gas shell, gases and ices. And this is the way the Earth formed. And when the sun ignited, the thermonuclear ignitions ignite. That's a very violent process. And it's like super, super solar winds that just swept away the, the gases of the planet and uh, also had um, uh, swept away part of the planet Mercury, deposited it out in the asteroid belt. But uh, what was remained after the gases were blown away was a, was a planet, a rocky planet, our, our rocky planet, but only about two-thirds the current diameter. It was compressed. There's a great deal of energy of compression, protoplanetary compression that was stored in this beast. And over time, the planet began to decompress. But in order to decompress, it had to do one of two things. Either the lost heat, you know, when you compress something, it gets hot. Mm -hmm. And that heat was lost. So either that heat had to be resupplied or it would get cold. And if it got cold, it would impede the decompression. Well, one of the other things that came out of this better understanding of the way the world is, in 1993, I used Fermi's nuclear reactor theory to demonstrate the feasibility of a nuclear reactor at the center of the Earth. And I've published numbers of papers on that, and there are two actual lines of evidence in support of that. Uh, the helium that comes out of volcanoes, Oak Ridge National Laboratory, results showed that the composition of the helium produced by the georeactor would be essentially the same as what's coming out of the volcanoes. And now people are measuring anti-neutrinos coming from out of the earth. And they would love to refute the idea, but they couldn't. They tried to suppress it, but they couldn't. You see, anti-neutrinos mm -hmm. come about from uh, in two ways. They come about from radioactive decay, like from uranium decaying into 
various steps down to lead, and they come about from nuclear fission. But the nuclear fission antineutrinos have higher energy, so you could you could separate them. And so that's, that's so there's two lines of evidence. And to make a, a long story short, basically I came to understand that the Earth's magnetic field is produced by a nu- the nuclear fission reactor at the center of the Earth. Hmm. People have thought that it's in the Earth's fluid core, which is the mass of about a third of the planet. But the the physics was wrong. They they try to assume that convection takes place. But the Earth's core is compressed. So the bottom is more dense than the top. Mm-hmm. And just a little bit of heat at the bottom can't overcome that density and float to the top. There's another thing. If you to have convection sustained, the up-down motion, you have to take away the heat at the top. But the Earth is... The Earth's core is wrapped in a blanket of rock, the, the mantle that has a, a lower heat capacity, a lower uh, uh, thermal conductivity. So it's uh, even if you had convection, it would soon stop because you couldn't take the heat away. Right. But, you know, a, a question on this, because you mentioned, yeah. you mentioned the helium that is released by volcanoes and the anti-neutrinos. Now, the anti-neutrinos, they can just pass right through matter, but the helium would have to have some type of, of way to exhaust itself from this that's area good, from the core out to the volcano. So that brings up... An, let me explain. Yeah, go ahead. This is good. Uh, where, where this helium is found... Uh, is in volcanoes that are near what are called hot spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hawaii is a hot spot. Uh, Iceland's a hot spot. Uh, now, seismologists have, have used earthquake wave speeds, like um, sort of like uh, the medical profession does with thermography, to um, to, to image. And what they've imaged are these paths from the top of the core up to these hot spots mm-hmm. where the, the density is different. Now, helium is a highly mobile and very light element. So it can move through those channels uh, and, and get to the surface. And that's, that's, that's how that uh, happens. So, but, uh, so- well, yeah. I, I find that interesting because um, one of my theories very, very early on, and, and, and I don't need critiquing on it because I'm not a physicist, but this was just a theory looking at the, the geophysics of things, was that we had a crystalline structure there that was in, under immense pressure, which was oscillating. Because if you put immense pressure onto a crystal, you have the piezoelectric effect. You're going to have oscillations with it. Then you're going to have an electric field that's creating. It's in a continuous state of oscillation. Under immense pressure, that's continuous in rotation. You're going to have a magnetic field produced by this. Um, and, And I always said that what happens with the Earth's magnetic field is it increases and decreases dependent upon the fluctuations in solar and cosmic energy that is coming in and out of our solar system. And Well, let me... Let me let me let me um, focus on that for a minute. Yeah. Um, did you when when you were a young guy, 
or should I say a younger guy. Did you, uh, <laughs> did you ever do any little simple electric experiments with a battery or with a transformer or things like that? Yeah, I tore down electronics all the time. I'm, uh, I was a well, certified electronic technician. I worked on uh, okay, electronics so you in know, the military. So. You know then, if you connect a battery to a transformer mm -hmm. and a, a, a ammeter or a galvanometer on the other side of the transformer, when you connect the battery, you get a pulse, sharp little pulse yep. in one direction. And when you disconnect it, you get a sharp little pulse in the other direction. And the reason that is, this is Faraday's law of induction, because a, a moving, a changing current or a moving magnetic field can, a changing current can be induced through the medium of a magnetic field mm -hmm. to another coil. And that's why when you only change with the batteries, when you connected it and disconnected it, Alternating current, on the other hand, changes every every sixty times a, a second. It, it it changes, and that's why alternating current can go through a transformer. It's all very nice. Well, think of the the sun pouring out charged particles. That's it. Massive amount. Now, if those charged particles were streaming out constant speed, constant amount, they would connect or pass through the Earth's magnetic field and there would be no electrical energy conducted through the magnetic field into the georeactor, the source of the magnetic field. Right. But if those charged particles are changing then current is induced from the solar wind through the geomagnetic field into the georeactor where it, it causes heating, ohmic heating. And that is sufficient in a, the case of a very large change to disrupt the convection in the georeactor subshell. Now I love and, this. So you're you're proving a theory this, this of mine. And, and I this, wanna... is, this, this is this is now this is serious science. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just just for background, I should tell you, I, I not only you know have a PhD in nuclear chemistry, yeah, but I have held what used to be called the first class radio telephone license with a ship radar endorsement. They changed the name of that. I've held that ever since. I don't know. I was nineteen or twenty. Mm -hmm. So, so I electricity is something I'm very Love it. comfortable with. Well, and one point I want to put in here, and this is kind of what we were talking about beforehand, is the connection between earthquakes and volcanoes. And what I want to point out here is that if we have the induction current because of the solar wind or the cosmic wind that's coming in, that's producing this fluctuation of electric field that is being inducted into the the Earth's core, right? Mm -hmm. What's happening the, now? The, in, into the georeactor, which okay, is the yeah, center the, of the Earth. Right, but my theory would have been the Earth's core, but into the georeactor. This means that the georeactor has an anticipatory period to where it knows where there's an uptick or a decrease in solar activity. 
which means that it has time to fluctuate the amount of pressure or the amount of rotation of the dynamo to increase or decrease the magnetic field. This is, this is, this is, let me, let me, let me explain. Mm -hmm. We go back to the earth having been compressed. Yep. Okay. By, by 300 earth masses of gases and the heat of compression was lost. So energy has to be supplied to allow that massive amount of energy to lift the planet against gravity. Now, that's what one of the things that the nuclear georeactor does. It produces this. So when you have a burst of energy disrupting what's going on in the georeactor, it can lead to the production of a little burst of georeactor energy, more so than in, in the normal sort of steady state that might exist. And that burst then gives the decompression energy the, a, a burst. Yep. So then you can, you can have in, in, a, in a real early on, and in a big sense, you could begin splitting the surface. Now you may only be causing earthquakes and volcanoes to erupt, but that's, that's, it's a trigger. The, the change in the solar wind, the coronal discharge, the induces a current through the magnetic field into the georeactor which causes some heating and destabilizes the georeactor and produces a boost, a burst of nuclear fission energy, which then allows the massive protoplanetary energy to do a bit of decompression. And so that's, that's the mechanism that acts at the surface on such a scale. Now, in the, in the nature of evolution, of evolution of planets, of solar systems, of cosmology, um, it, whether we look at the material view or the spiritual view, I, I just want to take this in the context, is it, it seems that this process is more of like a hydraulic system in the sense where you have this compression that is on the core. And what happens is, is that when in, this induction current comes in, the tectonic plates or basically it basically increases or decreases the pressure on that dynamo reactor, increasing or decreasing the magnetic field, and then that pressure pressure has to alleviate. So if you're if you have a certain amount of pressure in the dynamo reactor of the Earth, and now we have an influx of electrical current into that reactor, we have an over unity of electricity coming in there, overproduction of electricity coming in there, or energy coming in, I have to get rid of energy or increase the speed of rotation, which will increase my magnetic field. Either way, I looked at it in the sense of the tectonic plate. Go ahead. That's getting a little bit, a little bit beyond. Okay. But what, what you, what you can know, and I don't even like to use tectonic plates because all that is, is uh, refers to plate tectonics, mm -hmm. which is an incomplete theory. There's no energy source for plate tectonics. Number one, mm -hmm. it necessitates mantle convection. And mantle convection is physically impossible. Okay. Because of the compression, uh, the bottom of the 
mantle is 62% more dense than the top of the mantle. A little bit of heat can't, can't make it top heavy. But, but it, what I'm saying is in a, in the broader sense, if you go back to the idea of whole earth decompression, Mm -hmm. what, what happens is that the, and, and in one sense, what, what you're saying is, 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 is sort of the same in the sense that the energy is induced into the georeactor. It disrupts it and causes a burst of energy, which mm-hmm. triggers yep. a much bigger source of energy, the stored energy of protoplanetary compression. And that then affects the surface. And it can affect the surface several ways. One way is some of that energy is moves through the mantle like, like a wave, if you would, until it reaches the rigid crust. And there it's compressed, it gets heated. And so that's the basis for the geothermal gradient. If you go down in a deep mine, it gets hotter and hotter as you go down into the crust. Well, that's because of that heat that's in, and that heat also supplies a lot of the shallower volcanoes. Mm. Uh, the there's a potential for literally splitting the crust, in, on a big scale, but on a lower, smaller scale, just you know, disrupting, causing right. uh, fractures that are lead to earthquakes. Now, now, to give everybody out there a perspective on kind of what he's saying in the sense of de- deep compression theory, is volcanoes and earthquakes are a resultant action of basically what I would call fracturing within this mantle. Uh, mantle. Because what happens is, is because of the, the nuclear dynamo that is operating, because of the immense pressures and temperatures that are induced in towards the cores of the Earth, uh, some of that has to be alleviated at times. If you didn't, it would eventually go critical and, and blow up the planet. So you have to alleviate pressure at certain points. And what I think, I think what's happening here is you have fracturing that produces these kind of like whether they're micro fractures or whatever that allow these earthquakes to happen, and then volcan- you know, the heat to be released at certain points through volcanoes and various other things. Right? There's a there's a good way to to think about this by going back to the early stages. Of, of earth formation after the gases were stripped away you had a compressed earth maybe about two-thirds the present diameter and inside heat was being generated and that was causing the decompression little bits of decompression and so you were getting great pressures involved and eventually this rigid cra- crust began to crack mm-hmm. and this was the separation of the continents. This, the cracks became the ocean basins. So because if you have a bigger earth, you have to do two things. One, you have to make more surface area for the surface. And that comes about by cracking the surface and then infilling those, the area in between. Uh, The other thing that has to happen, it's not so obvious, is that the curvature has to change. Picture this, suppose you took an orange, say a half an orange, and you took the pulp out and you sat it on top of a a melon or a a large cantaloupe. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't lay flat, it would weigh, it would be a a, a big hump. 
well, that can't happen because in the, as the earth gets bigger, it has to maintain a continuity. And so what happens, there's, there's basically two ways that, uh, that this orange, if you would, can lie flat. The main way is by tucks, because you take tucks and fold them and lay them down. Mm -hmm. This is the way mountains characterized by folding occurred. The other way, which is much less energetically favorable, is little tears around the periphery of the continent, hmm. which are in evidence in Norway, for example, the fjords or the submarine canyons. Okay. Yep. So these, these are all parts of whole earth decompression dynamics. Now, what this paper about Mars I was telling you about, there's some fractures on Mars. And all along the edge of the fracture are these tears that are nearly identical to the tears along the surface, on the, along the coast of Norway. Uh, this, this, is, this is all makes sense because it all follows the same sort of and at one time, Mars had a nuclear reactor, mm -hmm. but it didn't last very long. But that helped the decompression. It produced heat that was put, that migrated upward like a wave to lower, uh, through lower and lower densities till it got to a rigid crust. And there it was compressed and it produced heat. And at one point in time, Mars had heat at its surface. But after the, geo, the Martian georeactor died or slowed immeasurably, and after the decompression ceased, uh, there was no longer heat being added to the, to the crust and Mars ended that period of time. Mm. So this was, uh, you, you, I think you'll enjoy that, looking at, at that article. Yeah, this I'm, is, I'm this really is entirely new. It. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing idea. And there's a lot of evidence to substantiate it. And your research is definitely came a long ways because everything that you're saying makes a lot of sense. And here's the interesting thing is in the esoteric mysteries and a lot of the ancient mysteries, there's a saying called as above, so below. And this pertains to correspondence of the, the cosmological realms in the sense that if, if all things are dominated by the same law. So if the sun is this nuclear fission reaction that we would assume that the planets themselves are this nuclear fission reaction and probably created by the same pro uh, same process, just less mass compressed into that region. Well, let's let let's let's talk about that because this is an interesting. Um, the one of the biggest questions, one of the biggest questions in science at the beginning of the 20th century was what energy source powers the sun and the other stars. Mm -hmm. And at first scientists thought, well, when the stars form, the dust and gas will crash in together, coalesce, and it'll produce heat. 
But it didn't take long for people to figure out that the amount of heat, the maximum amount of heat that could be produced, could not heat the sun nearly as long as life has existed on Earth. Hmm. Then, in about 1923, I think, uh, a few scientists, one named Oliphant and one named Rutherford, and uh, may have been another one, uh, discovered a thermonuclear fusion reactions. These are reactions where very light nuclei, like hydrogen, come together and release a vast amount of energy. Mm-hmm. But they're called thermonuclear because in order to get those two charged nuclei close enough to interact, they have to be going real fast. And at high temperatures, things move very fast. So at a temperature of close to a million degrees, you can have thermonuclear fusion reactions. Hmm. Now, uh, it didn't take long before the very notable scientists, Von Weizsäcker, Edward Teller, Hans Bethe, figured out what they thought were the nuclear fusion reactions that power the sun and the other stars. In fact, Bethe got the, I think it was 1960 or 68 Nobel Prize for that. Well, the thing is that this was all pretty well figured out before 1938. Mm. And so what was the energy source to get a million degrees to ignite those. Well, obvious to them, it was when the dust and the gas collided when the star formed. Well, uh, later on, people realized that when computers came out and people made calculations, uh, that that's a real problem. And people, even, I haven't looked at literature lately, but as, as 10 years ago even, people were still trying to tweak their models to get that temperature. Hmm. In 1992, I published the first uh, scientific paper on the feasibility of a nuclear fission reactor for the giant planets. Uh, You know, Jupiter radiates twice as much energy as it receives from the sun. Mm -hmm. This was a big mystery. And then a year later, I did the the, uh, georeactor at the center of the Earth. Well, one day I was thinking about Jupiter and I realized, you know, Jupiter is much like a star that was too small to be a star, but it has a nuclear fission reactor. So I began to wonder, is it not possible that stars with their thermonuclear fission reactions are not very much like one of the big weapons that uses nuclear fission, a fusion reactions, mm-hmm. like a star is one of those weapons held together by gravity. Now, all of those weapons are ignited by a nuclear fission mm. device. So I wondered, is it possible 
that the thermonuclear reactions in stars are ignited by nuclear fission. And I thought, oh, God, that's so obvious. But I went to the science and engineering library. This was before I had access to computer lit searches. And I started methodically going through the literature back in time until I got back beyond the end of 1938. Uh, fission, uh, uranium fission was discovered in December of 1938. And so I, uh, I got all the way back and that wasn't in the literature. Mm. So I, I uh, hired a research librarian to do computer lit searches. He didn't find anything either. Hmm. So I, I wrote this up as a paper and I submitted it to a number of journals, uh, Nature, um, uh, Science. It was rejected most places. In fact, one, one of the journals, it was rejected because the reviewer said I was throwing away 40 years of astrophysics. Of course. But... But it was accepted in the proceedings of the Royal Society of London. Mm. And that was despite a really cantankerous, very short review that I was told, no, I shouldn't say the name of the person who did the review, but you might imagine he, um, he doesn't say much because he always had a mouthpiece. But anyway... It was, it was published. And, and so this was the first article about igniting nuclear fusion reactions in stars by nuclear fission. Mm -hmm. Well, previously, people had thought that when a star formed, it would get hot and that would automatically ignite. So virtually all lighted stars all stars were assumed to be automatically lighted. All right. And I said, no, not necessarily, not necessarily. They were only ignited if there were heavy elements, fissionable elements present. Mm. Now, if you imagine the sun, imagine after it formed and it cooled down, if it had no fissionable elements, it would have the same mass that it has, but it would be about the size of the earth, hmm. a dark star. Now, when you look at galaxies, they have the spiral shape. Many of the galaxies have a spiral shape. Now, the astronomers, the astrophysicists had done the calculations and realized that if that was the only part of the galaxy, it would wrap around itself and would not stay as, as like, uh, you know, a star, a star shaped galaxy. Mm -hmm. Well, I suggested in the same article that the galaxies are held in place by dark matter, this is what the astronomers were thinking, dark matter, that the dark matter is stars without the 
heavy elements, hmm. stars that never ignited. And so if you picture a, a spiral galaxy, picture a spiral galaxy inside of a big sphere of dark stars, hold the sphere holding in the galaxy in place. Well, that was, that was, that was published. The astrophysicists ignored it. All the people that work on dark matter just simply ignored it hmm. or didn't know about it or didn't care to read the literature. But in my experience, nature is, everything in nature is connected logically and causally. Yep. Okay. This, so I, so then I, I began to wonder how did the stars get ignited? Now, the Hubble Space Telescope, there were some incredible images. And one image was a, a binary star that had a massive outpouring of gas as it was ignited. I mean, it would have been a massive outpouring that would have gone as far out as, as uh, Pluto, maybe, if it had been the sun. And then there were also, that was good evidence that the, the gases were swept away from the Earth. Mm -hmm. But also the Hubble Space Telescope showed a number of images of galactic jets. Jets that could go one way or two ways, mm -hmm. opposite directions. And I had one image that was four light years long. Another jet was 10 no, I'm sorry, 4,000 light years long. Now, are these Birkeland currents? One, pardon? Are these Birkeland currents? No, no, these are these are galactic jets. Yeah, yeah, streaming plasma, out yeah from plasma channels. They're, they're plasma channels. I think they call them Birkeland currents. And so well, they stream in between galaxies or they hold galaxies together. They stream out from the centers of galaxies uh, perpendicular to well, the... What, yeah. what, they're not perpendicular to the to the plane of the galaxy. They're in the plane of the galaxy. And they're uh, there because the people, you know, the, the matter keeps coalescing in the center of the galaxy and you get hellish pressures and temperatures mm -hmm. and whatever happens, I don't think you get black holes. I think you get the jets that are observed. And so those jets are, are basically nuclear matter. And so imagine a, galaxy of totally dark stars at its center as it begins to coalesce it shoots out its first galactic jet and wherever that jet deposits matter along the way that's picked up by the dark stars it goes to their centers mm. it ignites and so what, when you see a galaxy of luminous stars, those are just the stars that were ignited by the jets. And so if you see something like the mouse, what's called a mouse galaxy, where it's like one jet, that's what the, your first jet would look like. Hmm. And when you start looking at galaxies again, and you see all of these things, these, these are jets, jets that shot out at different times, at different places. 
So anyway, that's a, uh, that began to explain why the, uh, why the, uh, the, the, the lighted galaxies, the luminous stars and galaxies have a very few forms. If you look at really deep, deep space images from uh, like the Hubble uh, Space Telescope, you see just thousands of galaxies and they're either spirals or bars or bar, bar spirals with mm -hmm. very few different ones. Well, it's because of the galactic jets igniting the dark matter. Hmm. Interesting. So, so this say everything follows. Now there, you could go one step farther and just begin to see what happens with the universe as a whole. But I don't think I want to go there today because. Uh, yeah, no worries. But, uh, if you, if you read, if you read, if you read my book, Paradigm Shifts, which tells all of these things, plus about the reason that global warming is not caused by carbon dioxide and greenhouse gases, you, you, you'll be able to understand the reasoning. Uh, a couple of people thought that that's such an important little book. One of them translated into French and another into Spanish. These books are available on Amazon in, in various countries. But uh, so uh, the, thing that, the thing that to keep in mind is that everything in nature is connected. So when the science community decided to ignore what I had published about the inner core, what they should have done was to try to refute it to find out that if it's wrong, and if it's wrong, then they would have refuted it. Mm -hmm. If they could not refute it, the legitimate thing to do would be to cite it in the literature, because that means that there are more possibilities. So in failing to do that, they cut themselves off from being able to make one discovery after another after another. And this is the, this is this is my fate in life because when when I make one discovery like like the idea of the inner core not being partially crystallized iron metal but being nickel silicide, then that begged the question: Well, what would be the composition of the core? And I was able to relate the parts of the inside of the Earth to parts of a meteorite and to relate the parts of the meteorite to the circumstances of condensation that lead to a, a different understanding of how the solar system formed and a different composition for the inside of the planets that allowed uranium to be at the center where it could be a nuclear reactor. And so you see all of these things, one thing leads to another. And so scientists that, that want to pretend that uh, they can ignore things, they're, they're not scientists. Yeah. Now, I think that NASA, I don't know of a single NASA-supported scientist who has ever, ever mentioned planetary nuclear reactors. Hmm. 
Well, you know, Although there's lots of reason that you should. Well, there's a lots of reasons why the government doesn't do a lot of things. Um, you know, they fund research for 10, 15, 20 years. They pump billions of dollars in the academia, the universities and professors. And a lot of these professors that work with NASA, a lot of these doctors, PhD types that work with NASA, um, they, they want to keep that money going for the research that they're doing. And they don't want anything to come in to change that. Uh, because that, then they that, lose their job, they lose their funding, and now they have to start over. That's that's one big problem. And another problem is that in order to get that funding, they have to write proposals. Mm -hmm. And their proposals are peer-reviewed by their competitors. Hmm. And their competitors get to review the proposals in secret, anonymously. So, I mean, think about it. If... Uh, if I challenge somebody's work, I say, you know, this question in it, then this guy gets to review my proposal for funding. Do you think he's going to approve it? No. So, I mean, this is the way the control system works. It's the same thing if you challenge what the government is supporting. The government funding people aren't going to send any money your way and want you to go away. Well, you know, so this is. I was going to say is is uh, you were saying that everything in nature is about balance. It's about this homeostasis that it creates. Um, on this planet right now, it, it seems that that is out of touch. And I think there's a lot of things happening on this planet. Um, if I looked at it from a 40,000 foot or more of a low Earth orbit perspective, um, I, I would almost say that this planet is being geoengineered or, geo or terraformed into a different planet. Um, I know you've done a lot of work on geoengineering and you've been putting this word out there about chemtrails, what we call chemtrails, about various different, co uh, um, I think it's, uh, what is it? It's cold ash, coal ash. Coal fly ash. Yep, the, cold the fly toxic ash. Waste, yep. Toxic waste product of burning coal. And, and yeah, this is, and it's all being done secret, mm -hmm. secretly. And they're pouring this stuff into the atmosphere and it's causing global warming in addition to preventing rainfall when it should and giving downpours where where it shouldn't and uh it is poisoning the planet it's poisoning humanity and they're professional disinformation agents that go around and try to block uh, two of my public health papers that were peer-reviewed and accepted were retracted because they, the disinformation agents in some manner threatened or could coerce the editors and publishers of those journals. Now, normally when somebody calls into question an article that's been published, they present a state of uh, accusations, problems, and then the author is given the chance to answer those. Well, this never happened in those instances. Hmm. I was never given the opportunity to know what was said or to be able to respond to it. Interesting. I mean, this is, this is the, and, and this is, you know, there's, there's two things. Number one, anybody that orders poisons to be sprayed into the air that people breathe, the people who who make those orders ought to be tried for crimes against humanity. 
And the people who deceive the public as to the risks, they should be right up there with the people that order it. They should all uh, understand what the meaning of um, of uh, steps leading to pieces of rope. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> and uh, there, there has been this ruthless conspiracy organized by somebody, the, the they in the world, that are putting particulate matters into, it seems that, you know, that there's not any orchestrated event, but it seems to be an additive, maybe the, the jet fuels, they're doing this. I know a lot of people think that the military is doing this, and I mean, uh, we got a military pilot, former military and Air, Air Force pilot in the chat right now. He's vehemently against the whole thing. A chemtrail says it cannot happen. It, it was never, you know, any military base go to. It wasn't operated there. Um, and I look at it in the sense that if it was in the military, it was most likely the military industrial complex that was running. Yes, mission. it was in the military industrial complex. But I will tell you, in um, I think it was 2005, the U.S. Air Force published a document and in that document, one chapter or section was entitled The Chemtrail Hoax. And that document said there's no such thing as a chemtrail. Hmm. Okay, these are harmless ice crystal contrails. Uh, so the, the, there are military people involved. And there's certainly military contractors involved. And there are a lot of people. See, this is one way not only to, I mean, look, if you want to take over a prosperous country, mm -hmm. you have to make it not prosperous. Agreed. You have to cause people to be out of work, to be, have food shortages, to have an unhealthy environment for people to be sick. All of these things play into that. Uh, they're destroying, literally destroying the world, and we're losing, we're losing a great amount of life. I think uh, populations of, of insects are, are like 80% down, uh, and the bird populations are down. And uh, all along the way, all because of what's being put into the atmosphere. I mean, these these are uh, the people who order these things and the people who who deceive the public. I mean, these these are monsters. Yeah, they have yeah. no sense of humanity. They don't care for life except their own, of course. Uh, they're, they're godless people. They're evil people. Believe me, there is such a thing as evil. Yep. And right now you're seeing it all around you and you're seeing it up there too. Well, what do you mean by up there? In the trails across the sky. Ah, gotcha. I thought you meant something else. Now no, 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 no. <laughs> I would be pointing down there yeah. if we were talking well, about those people. Now we also have, I mean, uh, I mean, think about water. We have the, the what is it, hydrofluorosilic acid that is put into there. This is not sodium fluoride that is put into the public water supply. This is the end result of basically waste from these uh, these 
oil refining companies that they're putting into our water supply the poison us uh we can go on oh, there's certain things we can't say on on youtube in the sense of other things they're bioweapons and stuff they're using to poison us but you're absolutely right they're killing off humanity and they're trying to reduce the population yes that is that is true and those people that meet in that little little village in uh, switzerland davos bros yes those uh that those those are an enemy of the people of a lot of countries. And um, I, I just, uh, they, there's always been, there have always been evil people that wanted to rule the world. And the, the one thing that has been unique about America, the United States, is that the way the Constitution was framed, it would prevent the uh, a, uh, a monarch or leader being able to control everybody. But what wasn't taken into account is the great advances in technology. Of course, 200 years ago, people would not have known. Well, I published a, a paper uh, calling for a constitutional bill of rights, a new bill of rights, a technology bill of rights. See, the original bill of rights, the constitution is itself didn't protect people from being dominated by the government. Mm -hmm. So that was why the original bill of rights was the amendments that became the bill of rights was set up to protect the free speech of people protect their right to bear arms, all those things. But see, there's no technology bill of rights, but there needs to be to protect people from poisoning the atmosphere, poisoning the water supply, using software to abridge your right to free speech. and to to cheat in elections uh see that's that's what is missing and that's what's very badly needed now and i think that it's good that you're doing what you're doing helping to get people to know i uh i worry that younger people have been so swept up with their distractions uh whether they be Uh, games or social media or whatever, that they aren't focused on the world around them. And and, uh, the thing about freedom is that it's something you have to constantly protect. And if you lose it, it's hard, hard as hell to get it back. So this this is good that you're helping to, to get the word out. I may not agree with all of the things that are talked about on your program, but what I talk about is the good solid science and people can benefit from that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but uh, the, the important thing is to, to wake up and look what's happening. Uh, Because uh, we're, we're in a precarious situation. Yeah, we are. And it's a very dangerous situation because 
what they're doing, I, I call the Global Firestorm event. Um, this is the, the systematic destruction of all the aspects of a global society uh, that bring it down to the knees so they can implement their own global governance, global society, uh, with their own rules, regulations, their own technological uh, oligarchical controls in place. Um, but there's this other aspect that we're talking about here, and this is it, it's as if they are geoengineering the planet. Now, I, I, I don't. Oh, yeah. Uh, that's that's yeah. let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah. And so it's, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that it's only for the reason to kill the people and to bring them down. I, well, I feel several, that there's something else going on several, here. Go ahead. There's several reasons. First, let me let, let me go back a little bit. Let's talk about global warming. The United Nations was beating the drums about global warming with the intergovernmental uh, climate uh, panel on climate change since uh, what 1989, I think they came out with their first report. They, the UN gets a lot of money from different countries to assess human effects on the climate. This is what that's all about. Mm -hmm. And immediately they came out with the idea that it's carbon dioxide and the burning of fossil fuels that's causing global warming. Well, the one thing that you can look at and ask whether they're really honest about this, have you ever seen any of the IPCC reports that mentions all the jet spraying of contrails in mm. the sky? No. Now, these are supposedly experts on the atmosphere and on climate. Well, that's political manure, mm -hmm. okay, because they would have discussed those and what effect they might have on the, on the climate. Now, I, I tell you a little story. Uh, I... I foresaw that, that, that what they were doing was causing the planet to be heated and desiccated, especially in California. We see this every day. You know, the, the, the weather comes in from the Pacific Ocean, and whenever there's a report of uh, rain in the next two or three days, the spray jets multiply because it it heats it up and it, it desiccates and it keeps the, the oncoming uh, rain back in the ocean. Mm -hmm. So uh, I was very seriously wondering now, how, how can all of this happen? How, what is the legal basis? Nobody will say anything. And then I discovered the answer to that. In 1978, the UN uh, uh, in, had an a, uh, international treaty that came into force. Mm -hmm. uh, it's commonly called INMOD. But what the title of the, the uh, treaty is something like the prohibition of using uh, environmental change as a weapon of war, something like that. I'm not using correct words. 
And that sounds like some any, anybody could want to sign on to that. But if you look in detail, mm -hmm. only one of the 10 or so articles that has anything to do with the title is Article 1 that says, um, in essence, the signatory uh, will uh, state uh, states that sign on to that treaty will uh, uh, work to avoid the use of that process in military. Well, if, if they had really meant to prohibit it, they would use the word shall, shall not engage in. The rest of them had to do with modifying the environment for peaceful purposes. And the third and very complicated language that if you go through and you cross out all of the words that are just in there that are non-essential, it basically mandates the signatory countries to participate in environmental modification projects for peaceful purposes. But they don't say what projects or for what purposes or for anything, but the countries have signed on to do this. Hmm. And I, I'm sure that this is the, the, the basis. It's the UN. It's behind it. Now, there's, there's something very, very fundamentally dishonest about this because what they're doing on one hand with the IPCC is they're saying, give us a lot of money so we can work to prevent global warming caused by carbon dioxide. And on the other hand, they're saying, shh, don't tell anybody, but we're putting cold fly ash in the air so it'll cause global warming. I mean, this is, this is, this is, and this is, this and then is they fact. own all the lithium mining companies. They own all the solar production companies that are utilizing slave labor for production, slave labor uh, for the, for the mining of the lithium I, I, batteries. I, I, I don't even, I don't even go that far, but I'll tell you how another bit of evidence, my colleague, uh, Mark Whiteside and I have published like 25 papers in the scientific and medical literature about the aerial spraying, the consequences on lung cancer, on heart disease, on neurodegenerative disease, mm. uh, the killing of birds, uh, insects, bats. I mean, uh, we've published a lot on this. And we wrote two perspectives. A perspective is a short paper that is intended to alert the public health people to a impending danger. And we submitted at different times these to the Bulletin of the World Health Organization about the aerial spraying. They were rejected without ever being set out for review. Wow. So if that doesn't tell you, I mean, these people are dirty. I mean, these are dirty. And uh, so this, this is, I mean, and, and a lot of other journals, uh, mainstream journals are all part of this whole thing. The Lancet 
is one of the most prestigious medical journals. Well, we first submitted, we submitted one of those to The Lancet. Well written, beautifully written. It was rejected without review. As I submitted one paper to the proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences mm -hmm. that had to do with putting poisons in the atmosphere. Well, it was rejected because, and they have a different way of rejecting it. They rejected it because one of the members of the editorial board decided that it wouldn't be of sufficient interest to the leader, to the readership of the proceedings of the National Academy. They're not going to be interested that somebody's poisoning the air to breathe. Whatever happened for truth, for science, for for the progression of knowledge and information. This it's not a popularity contest. This is about science. So that's well, it's, important for them. It's it's well that they 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 shouldn't be receiving any funding whatsoever. And that's just the least of the problems they mm -hmm. should be facing. But this is this is this is the, the the sum and substance. The one thing I was very fortunate in being invited to learn from some real masters, and I learned how to do science and to make discoveries, and I also learned the importance of telling the truth. And you have to tell the truth in science, otherwise it's not science at all. It's in, it becomes propaganda. And the thing the thing that is that if you if you are truth totally truthful in science, you make discoveries, and one discovery opens the door to another discovery, yep. and so forth. That's been my whole life. But if you if you deceive, if you don't admit, then you're trapped. It's like being trapped in a blind alley. You have nowhere to go. Yeah, and that's where yeah. most of the people do. They just uh, you so taxpayers' money is being wasted by the billions of dollars on these uh, scientists who are just still struggling to figure out something 40 years ago that they've been struggling for 40 years and they haven't solved it yet while they're ignoring the real solution. Well, yeah, stop doing the evil that they're doing and everything just goes away and the earth naturally heals itself and... We, that, we is, now, that is that hey i listen i'll agree with you totally the earth has taken care of itself for mm -hmm. uh, for billions of years and i mean so there have been some real traumas on the earth with continents splitting apart and uh, periods of uh, mass extinctions and things like that but overall the earth has maintained a habitable habitable environment for life and they if if people would just quit polluting the atmosphere and polluting the waters and just leave earth alone there's there's also another part of this as well is you know w when you have a closed system and I would assume that I look at the earth in the sense of its climate as a closed system, although the climate is influenced through solar activity and cosmic activity. What happens on the earth is is a is a closed system. And when we have this closed system and you want to manipulate the weather, 
weather manipulation, uh, utilization yeah. of harp, ionization, the uh, the uh, ionosphere, these types of things. When you manipulate the weather patterns, you're going to have massive and drastic effects. You have the law of compensation, which is going to come in the problem. All the way up and down the scale, because we we live in harmony with mm-hmm. the with the creatures of the earth. I mean, in your gut, you've got lots of uh, biological creatures that are working with you yep. and surviving symbiotically with you. And if you didn't have them, you'd be in a lot of troubles. I mean, we live in a in a very balanced world, and nature tends to balance itself. But as soon as you start messing with the uh, ozone layer, for example, letting in the harmful ultraviolet radiation, as soon as you're, you're poisoning the insects, the birds, the creatures of the earth, uh, you know, it has ramifications all up and down the line. So this is why we really need a technological bill of rights. Because this isn't the earth is not something for the Bill Gates and the George Soroses to play with. This is a planet that we call home. It's the only home we have, and we need to take care of it. And it's not something that uh, the wealthy or the powerful can do as they please with. Yeah, I, I agree with you, my friend. I agree with you. Um you know, there's there's this other part. So you're right. Is when when you do these things, you poison the air, you poison the water, you poison the planet. You're gonna have systematic destabilization of ecosystems, uh, as well as when you start messing with the with the the climate, right? The weather modification. Th- this is oh, ener- yeah. this is energy that is balanced in the sense of how it goes around the earth. And when you start manipulating that energy balance, you're going to have stronger and stronger storms start occurring because the earth has to dissipate that energy from its atmosphere and get it back to ground. And, and here's good. Here's another, another consideration. I mean, you think about it. Why are, farms located where they are because they the that particular area whatever it is it has the right soil it has the right rains it's got the right environment well you come along and you mess up the rains mm-hmm. or you mess up the the uh the soil you you're already destroying the ability to produce food crops and the, the, the destruction occurs not only just in the environment, but we're now, I have no doubt, we are well into the first anthropomorphic species extinction. Extinction of species on this earth in a major, major way because of what we're doing. Yep. And that needs to stop or at some point, we might not be able to survive ourselves. We're not alone on this planet. And if we were alone, I don't think we would survive. What do we do? Eat rocks? Yeah. 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 And uh, we're coming to a precipice moment in our history as, uh, as a civilization. 
and this evil that is perpetuating on this world world because you know there's we we can speculate all we want about who they are what they are what they're doing what their motives and agendas are we really don't know but at the end of the day it's what i would define in the sense of my moral and ethical foundation is evil and uh we need to rid this world of this evil and I think that's why a lot of this information is coming out now. It's probably why you're in the fringe community because, you know what, we're very receptive to other ideas, alternative ideas, especially from bright, intelligent people who have these these theories that make much more sense than the traditional theories that are accepted by the mainstream that are easy to invalidate, right? Yes. They, oh, yes. Yes, indeed. Well, you know, it's it's uh, it's important that uh, to do what you're doing, and to to reach out to people, and to get people off of their duffs and get them out trying to to make a difference in the world. Yeah. Uh, all too often, I look around me, and it's people in my age group who are at the forefront of finding out what's what's wrong, and. When I was a young guy, well, let me get, let me put a perspective. I joined the Naval Reserve when I was 17, just turned mm-hmm. 17. A year later, when I was in college, I got ordered to active duty. Well, I tried to get a deferment and it didn't come and it didn't come. And so a couple of days before time to report, I checked out of college then the deferment came. Mm-hmm. Well, they were very quick in, in canceling the deferment at my request. So I was in the Navy for two years. Now, and at that time, if you were in the Army and you had a specialty, you could go to Vietnam as an advisor. Okay, this was before the Vietnam War. So I, I ended up missing the Vietnam War, but I, I could relate to, to young people at that time because they, they saw what was happening wasn't right. I mean, that was, they, we had no business being in, in Vietnam and there were a lot, and there were a lot of young people protesting and that's what actually led to the end of the Vietnam War were the, the young people protesting. And that's a good thing, but there was something, a bad side to that too, is that they threw away the values of their parents, not only with respect to uh, responsibility toward your country, mm-hmm. but with respect to religion, moral values, social values. And we're reaping the consequences of that now. Yeah with people who have no no moral compass anything they want to do i mean you know they'll tell you if you uh if you want to be a girl hey you can be a girl you can go participate in girl sports i mean (laughs) well have you seen uh matt walsh's new movie the preview for matt walsh's new movie called what is a woman where he goes around no. asking medical professionals, doctors, people within the LGBTQ community, what they define a woman as. And every single one of them starts out the definition with, well, a woman is what a woman wants to be. Uh, you know, a man can be a woman. And, he, and no, no, no. How, you can't define it with the definition. What is a woman? And they go, oh, 
That's a good question. And most people walk away. Yeah, Russia is looking more and more like the U.S. should. Mm -hmm. They just uh, passed a regulation. They didn't make the actions that people do that have all those initials illegal. What they made was propagandizing that lifestyle illegal. Yep. So, I mean, it's, it's sort of like the, the, the you know, don't, uh, don't ask, don't tell kind of situation. But uh, they, uh, I, I, I look at what's, what's happening over there, and we're, we're getting fed a lot of false stories about what is happening at their border. Mm-hmm. And um, I, 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 don't, I don't know whether you, do you remember what wearing a white hat means or wearing a black hat? Because uh, when I was a kid, you know, I was six years old. I used to go to the movies every Saturday. They always had a cowboy movie, a cowboy movie and a cartoon and a serial. Spy versus spy. And uh, the, in, in those movies, the good guys always wore white hats mm-hmm. and the bad guys always wore black hats. Well, it's looking more and more like the people in that big country uh, in Eurasia, uh, are wearing white hats. Yeah. And we have some, um, clowns over here that have, I mean, clowns is a, uh, it's wearing... a good term. It's a good term to, to, to categorize well, the, the clowns yeah. that were raised on the farm that have overthrown countries for decades and the, are the intelligence agencies, right? Well, the, the, yeah, but you know, you, you, the clowns, uh, yeah, I'm thinking of, um, Nimit Kelly, for example. I, why would you want to insult them? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Good one. I like that. But uh, yeah. So anyway, no, no. This is this is uh, people. People really have to wake up and see what's happening. Yep. But the one thing that that is a constant, and that is truth. Hmm. I mean. This truth is is one of the pillars of of civilization. I mean, you can't. I mean, good business transactions are based upon truth. Supposedly, in courts, you're required to tell the truth. Now, that sort of has gone a little bit. If I don't know whether you've been watching the Hollywood movies, no. the Hollywood court scenes lately. Nope, I I tend not to, to tune into the to that stuff. I'm uh, I don't watch much if anything, honestly. I watch some videos in the sense of research, but yeah, no, I don't watch the Hollywood stuff. Well, I I couldn't help watching this famous trial that just ended. The Depp Herd. Yes, and uh, because I I watched little pieces of that on YouTube. Yeah, and it's really interesting to see. Well, you can really tell when people aren't telling the truth. Mm. You can tell by the absurdity of what they say, as well as as how they say it, and so forth. and And so it was a it was a, a classic. I mean, it's a shameful thing. I, I certainly would feel sorry for the guy that would have to go through such a thing. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I tell you, it's one thing to get married; it's another thing to marry 
something from hell. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that could happen to anybody, I guess, where you, uh, you, you marry someone that's not quite what you thought that person might be. Well, and that happens all the time in Hollywood, though. Uh, they're, they're used to it. But Johnny Depp's one of the only people that's, that's actually fought back and won. And congratulations yeah. to him for fighting back and winning, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And did you uh, – he had a – one of the, the, the stars of that whole thing was one of his attorneys, a young woman that um, – you know, when you watch – when you watch a, a television, a, a movie with an attorney yeah. in court – you know, the attorney is sharp and focused and, you know, really, really Perry Mason, yeah. really good. But when you watch court TV, almost invariably, it's the other way around. The attorneys aren't really confident. They're not real focused They're you know, mm-hmm. but he had one young woman attorney who was so sharp, she was right on it. She had a a mind, she knew the evidence in her mind. She didn't hesitate. She was, I mean, she would have put Perry Mason to shame. Oh, that's awesome. And she became a superstar from that, from that trial. Oh man. But that that was just a little diversion. I, I don't usually do these things, but that was, uh, it was it was an interesting diversion. It was well, a little human nature. Yeah, it shows you the state though of uh, the human psyche of what we've been through and where we're at. That people in the world have to resort to watching this. Remember back in the nineties, it was OJ's case, right? It was OJ's case. Oh yeah. Yep. And, and oh, now yeah. and now it was heard in depth and. It's these distractions that take your mind away from rising inflation, political destabilization, social, social and cultural destabilization and, all, and destruction, right? And, and not, to, not to forget all of the food processing plants that have suffered fires We're and explosions. We're up to about 34 of them right now just in the last six months. If you go back all the and, way to 2018, that number is astronomical globally. And and uh, the the latest one apparently is in Texas was not a food processing but a propane processing liquefied natural gas processing, mm-hmm. which dropped their output by twenty percent. So I, I predicted this over two and a half years ago on my show, and I said that they were going to have cyber attacks on infrastructure. And so when all these small little fires and stuff started happening, I started calling them exactly as they were. I started saying that, hey, these are attacks, cyber attacks on infrastructure. And people are like, what are you talking about? It's a fire. I said, yes, but you have to understand how machinery works in food manufacturing, processing, distribution facilities, oil refineries, is you have machines that are hooked up to the Internet of Things, IoT devices. You hack into the IoT device, you send a certain commands to that certain machinery it overloads creates a fire that fire destroys that production facility destroys that manufacturing facility destroys one room produces damage which but disrupts not, the supply but, chain but but not totally i think there were two uh airplanes that one one went into a grain right. silo when there was another one and then there was a train that was derailed that was full of fertilizer yep, up north of canada yep yeah, so I it's uh, you gotta. I mean, this is this is uh, a war, and and unfortunately, uh, to our knowledge, we aren't uh, we don't have uh, a response to it. 
Well, I, I think we do. I think that a lot of people are just waiting for what we would consider to be a precipice moment. And this is just the straw that broke the camel's back. We know it's coming. Um, I think it's going to be the midterm elections. I think that uh, there's going to be I, – I was talking about it on my other show the other day, but there's going to be um, – there's going to be some fireworks during that. And I think after that, the precipice will come and things will either change or we will go away. And I think that that's coming very, very soon. Well, I think, I think that will, that will indeed happen. But in the meantime, there are certainly things that people could do. For example, Mm -hmm. someone somewhere should list, you know, the companies that are involved their products should be listed. I mean, you you know a lot of people are focusing now on Disney. Mm-hmm. But what about all the Disney products? And if people just had a big list, and when they went to the grocery store, they didn't buy any product mm-hmm. on that list or, or any product that was advertised on um, one of the... CNN type uh, media that right. don't tell the truth, and and you just simply massively do not boycott them. I mean, you boycott them. The uh, there was a lot of people that came out about uh, Netflix because they were going so woke, and a lot of people quit Netflix. They just dropped it. Yep. And apparently Netflix is coming out saying they're not going to be woke anymore. But I don't know that the people are going to go back to them. Well, Barack Obama's on their board, so we'll see what happens with that. But, um, no, a lot of these companies are losing massive revenue. We had a 10%, what is that, an 800-point drop in the Dow today. The global economic financial, the global economic and financial collapse is underway. The Great Reset is in process, and once this world comes to a point of vulnerability, I think it's time for those people with the white hats on that uh, are going to start making some moves, as well as people like you, me, and everybody else who's involved in this, because uh, the world needs good people right now. So, uh, absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely. But Doc, I uh, appreciate your time tonight. We we are out of time. I mean, that was a quick hour and a half. Um, well, it was, but I, I, I got to tell you, I think we covered some interesting subjects. We did. We did. I, I'm glad we, we had that last part of the discussion. This is. Uh, and, and if you good. put out my website yep. so that people can go there and they can find all of these papers that are pretty understandable. Uh, if you do that, I think that would be helpful. Yep, we have it listed, so you can't see it, but on our screen that's actually playing, Good. it's right next to your name on your title. And Excellent. So, and it's also in all of the chat, so everybody can see it right there. I'm going ahead and posting it right there in case uh, our mods didn't get it out. But, yep, we got your website all out there. Please go ahead and, and check out his books and purchase his books and check out his website. Got lots of good content on there. If you click on some of those links, they take you to papers and research. I mean, tons of stuff is on there. So, please go check it out, nuclearplanet.com. Uh, J. Marvin Hernan, thank you so much for being a guest tonight. I can't wait to talk to you again, my friend. Everybody else will be going to Fringe After Dark in about 30 minutes from now. We'll see you guys there. If you want to get on that, socialredpill.com. Other than that, you guys have a great day, great weekend, and we'll talk to you here later. Good night. Thank you. Enjoyed it.